This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Just introduce myself. I'm a neurologist who specializes in neurorehabilitation. Um, so specifically, I manage the needs of adult patients after neurological injuries, uh, especially those with spasticity. And uh, next slide here, sorry. Okay, good. So I have no relevant financial um, conflicts of interest. I will be mentioning a number of services and products um, today, but I, I will not be, I, I do not have any financial relationships. Okay, so um, I'll be discussing the current understanding of the neuro recovery process and provide an overview of the various standard of care and as well as non-standard treatments that are available, either commercially or through research. Um, so then I'll end with some guiding principles for navigating this evolving realm of neuro rehab resources. So we will first learn about neuroplasticity and how it is relevant to the neuro recovery process. Uh, we'll discuss how to help an individual maximize their current standard of care based on um, the principles of uh, neuroplasticity and neurorecovery. Then we will explore potentially therapeutic novel modalities that are available, including emerging research interventions. And at the end, we'll consider general principles of treatment selection. So um, I'll start with a, a quote to speak to the human experience that occurs during injury and healing. So transformation is a process and as life happens, there are tons of ups and downs. It's a journey of discovery. There are moments on mountaintops and moments in deep valleys of despair. So I see this, uh, this quote as an analogy of the neurocovery process itself. So in the beginning, after a neurological injury, there is a phase of rapid recovery. Um, you can call it the spontaneous stage of um, recovery. And then there is a phase of slow or minimal improvement, commonly but misleadingly called the plateau stage. And often during this so-called plateau stage, an individual may be discharged from skilled therapy and um, and perhaps with the message that, you know, there's, there has not been any more improvement and there's nothing more that uh, we can do for you. But there is, uh, we now know that there's more to this uh, neuro recovery story. Either an intervention or a focused effort, or focused effort can continue to spark um, progress. So I'd like to show you some examples of how some people have regained motor ability and continued their climb upwards to greater functional improvement years after a neurological injury. So the first patient uh, ex experiences sig some significant functional improvements two years after her stroke. And her name is Sonia. She was 39 years old at the time of this video. Um, two years after her stroke, which weakened the right side of her body. You may have heard about her from all the media buzz surrounding the Stanford Stem Cell Research Study. And 
This video will show Sonia's ability to move her arm before and after a neurosurgeon drilled a hole into her skull and injected stem cells into several locations around the area damaged by the stroke. Okay, so that's our first example. And then the next individual was another, uh, we call a super responder to an intervention called C7 nerve transfer surgery. This is a 30-year-old man who had a stroke when he was 18 years old that affected the right side of his body. His main difficulty is extending his elbow and his wrist. So you're going to see two juxtaposed videos. The one on the left is labeled baseline prior to the intervention, and the one on the right is 12 months later after the patient underwent a neurosurgical procedure called C7 nerve transfer. Um, followed by four days a week of rehab for 12 months. Okay, so focus on the right arm. So shoulder movements intact, but um, previously had difficulty moving the elbow and the wrist, as well as the fingers. And this is after 12 months. Now looking at just the wrist movements. He's now able to have not full control of his effect design, but a functional amount. Now where he's um, showing the ability to grasp. And then he is able to after the intervention. Now he's demonstrating pinch. Interacting with small objects, which he is then able to do afterwards. So um, what I, I am not telling anyone to go line up for one of these investigational, investigational treatments just yet because there were significant side effects from these interventions and uh, only a very small number of people were studied, 18 patients in each group. So, um, so it remains to be replicated in larger populations. But a com what is common about these two, two patients where they were able to make tremendous recoveries years after a neurological injury, which brought new hope to counter the previous held notion that no further progress could be made after arriving at this seeming wall or plateau in the recovery. Okay, so what we think might be working here is a number of factors, but the major ingredient is neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the ability to make and modify or take away neurons, connections, and networks of the brain. It dictates our brain function and ultimately our activities, our actions, our behaviors. Um, so neuroplasticity is most active early in life, as indicated by this um, bump there. And then it does not go to zero. At some point, there, it, there is always a baseline amount. And so it just doesn't go away. Uh, but it does change in response to various life experiences. For example, there can be high levels of neuroplasticity. Activity again, um, triggered after such events, such as a new brain injury, like a stroke 
or TBI. And that is responsible for the initial stage of spontaneous neurological recovery. We have also learned that certain interventions, such as those used in the previous two videos, can also bump up neuroplasticity and lead to motor improvement, uh, even in the chronic stage. So how should, do we apply what we know now about neuroplasticity to the treatment of patients with neurological injury in the chronic stage? So not only do um, stem cells and targeted uh, surgeries boost neuroplasticity, but also we know that repetitive practice, certain medications, electrical stimulation, and many other interventions can do the same. So I'd like to start by discussing standard of care treatment options first, which directly and indirectly harness the power of neuroplasticity to improve motor function. So we are modulating our brains, strengthening specific connections between our brain and our muscles uh, when you're actively performing repetitive practice with specific skills or tasks. And usually while working with a physical therapist or occupational therapist or on your own, as well at home, the principle to emphasize here is high dose exercise, multiple repetitions, which, um, which is the key here. So, um, when navigating these treatment options, it's important to, um, to understand there are pearls and pitfalls. Um, so first, um, it may or may not be common knowledge, but skilled rehab therapists can bill for maintenance services to prevent slow decline and to manage neurological conditions in the chronic stage. For example, a therapist can continue to see patients periodically to help them stay as functional as possible, even if no improvement is being made, but this is deemed to be clinically appropriate. Another common pitfall that I have seen is the need to find neurotrained therapists. So therapists also specialize in different areas, and this is why your mileage is going to vary depending on who you see, because the skill sets and the ability to individualize treatments to your needs um, and what can be offered are different. So this means for physical therapists, look for NCS certified physical therapists and for occupational therapists, those who are trained and experienced in neurological rehab techniques. So because there is this variability in training and access to special equipment, um, there are treatment modalities that can be overlooked, um, such as uh, electrical stimulation, a technique called neuroephra, uh, sensory rehab, body-weight supported training, um, mental imagery exercises, neurotherapy, uh, joint mobilization, manual treatments, and customized or dynamic orthotics. So, um, so it's important, again, to seek out those therapists who have additional training in these areas. In addition, it's important to it may be beneficial to consult with physiatrists, neurologists, and orthopedic specialized physicians who can offer additional medical interventions in conjunction with skilled rehab therapies. And I emphasize in combination for the best outcomes. Um, this could be Botox treatments, intrathecal backbone pump um, therapy, medications, and other surgeries in conjunction with physical therapy and occupational therapy. And for those who have severe weakness or spasticity, um, 
We know that those who have successfully been able to implement a daily routine of aerobic range of motion stretching exercises tend to avoid worsening asbestosity, preventing contractures, maintaining strength endurance, and having less movement-associated pain. And so it is these home exercises that sound boring, but are in fact as important to encourage to maintain mobility as much as flossing and brushing teeth is to maintaining healthy teeth and gums. So of course, there could be uh, multiple barriers that need to be overcome or addressed first, such as caregiver assist, um, motivational factors. And I've also added on therapeutic massage and acupuncture because these can be added on to a regular maintenance routine. and more and more, these are being um, covered by insurance and FSA plans. So, just showing you some pictures of some of the some of the um, types of trainings we talked about. This is body weight supported balance training, as well as body weight supported treadmill training. This is a great way to increase your dose, right? When we're talking about being able to do more repetitions, off weighting the body. Uh, or the limb is going to be helpful for being able to do more repetitions. This next um, device or piece of equipment is uh, a standing frame. Um, In this case, it's actually an exerciser as well as an elliptical exerciser that can be used by those who are unable to stand independently. So this is a great resource to have at home and it is potentially covered by insurance. Um, I also uh, would suggest, you know, so these are just uh, pictures of Botox and an intrathecal back pain pump for the treatment asbestos. Okay, so next I'm going to talk about um, some novel or non-standardized treatments. And these are just examples of not an exhaustive list. So unfortunately, when we talk about these types of um, non-standardized treatments, it typically means out-of-pocket private pay modalities. But it, based on my experience, it has been worthwhile even for those who are unable to afford the cost of these options, as there may be scholarships, there may be sliding scale options or reimbursable expenses. Because some do find these digital strategies potentially beneficial and even life-changing. Um, so for those who do have um, resources to um, to increase one-to-one therapy time. Um, you, you could hire private pay therapists who can come to the home, for example. And this um, allows for uh, being able to implement a treatment plan that's not constrained by the cost of need for insurance reimbursement justification. You can take the time that you need, which is in reliberating. You can also go to a gym specifically designed for people who have neurological injuries. Um, The top here are pictures from the SciFit gym. It's a spinal cord injury fitness gym, Um, but it's not only for spinal cord injuries for anybody with neurological injuries. And um, it's actually a powerful resource that can provide up to two therapists working with you at a time for those who do need the additional support. Um, we, at UCSF, we have the FISFIT PT Health and Wellness Center that is 
also a gym that offers private pay one-to-one therapy or group sessions led by a neurophysical therapist, which is a good option when insurance runs out or one may need more intense therapy uh, than once or twice a week. And the picture down here is uh, the Stretch Lab, which is a new resource that I learned about recently. Um, for those who need others to help with providing routine passive range of motion and stretching exercises, um, especially those who might not have a caregiver who can provide this type of support. And it provides one hour sessions of muscle relaxation combined with stretching exercises. And usually it's important to do muscle relaxation in addition to stretching, which is better than stretching alone. Okay, so um, more, I was bringing on to the more resources potentially. CIMT clinics are private clinics that were designed to treat learned non-use. So after a brain injury that causes weakness, it is not uncommon for one to stop using weaker limbs, even though it is capable of movement and instead rely on the less effective limb. And this is called learn non-use. And one way to combat this is to restrain the, um, the, the less effective limb so that it forces you to use uh, the weaker side to as much as possible. And uh, this is a specialized technique that may or may not be easy to find but it has been shown to be effective. Um, so that is this picture right here. Now, um, down here is a picture of the neuroinfra type of technique, uh, which, which has, and the originator actually is in the Bay Area. Um, it involves precise hands-on handling by a therapist to improve function and the use of custom orthotics to help with uh, positioning. So you might see that available out there. And then also, um, I want to point out gamified virtual rehab. Um, gamified rehab is one way to improve motivation to participate in rehab training. And there are a number of systems available commercially now for the home or clinic use. Um, some examples include, I'll give you some examples in the next uh, slide. Um, and, uh, and, but I wanted to actually also talk about robot assisted game by rehab systems. So the, for those who have severe weakness, robot assisted, um, rehab involves, uh, donning a, uh, in this case, it's a robotic, um, glove that is able to, um, to provide you with assisted movements. And it's smart in a way that it can adjust, it can self-adjust how much assistance is needed and then wean off that assistance as one becomes stronger or better while performing game-based rehab. So these are examples of virtual and gamified um, types of, of, of uh, devices that are available commercially. This is the, the um, WeFit. Oh, I'm sorry, I am, um, I don't, I'm sorry, this is the smart, um, I'm black, blanking out on this specific system, but um, this is the music glove. And then below here is the Neofect smart glove and the uh, Neofect 
um, I believe it is East March. Apologize, <laughs> I, I don't have my uh, my notes here. But okay, I'll come back to that. So other um, assistive orthotics that can be just used um, daily are the, um, we have the Myomo here and the Neomano here, soft robotic. And these were made for distal weakness. Um, these assistive orthotic robotics can be used to correct distal hand wrist weakness. So in other words, your shoulder, your elbow, it's working fine. It's just you can't open your hand and you can't control your wrist. And so, um, so these were specifically made for this um, the situation. There are now two electrical neuromodulation devices available for electrical stimulation that is applied during rehab training to enhance the effects of the training. So one is the Vivistim or upper limb, so arm training, and the other is the Pons device. Um, so the Pons device, as you can see here, um, it's actually a stimulation device that you place over the tongue and it stimulates the tongue while you're performing gait and balance exercises. Um, the Vivi Stim is an implanted device. It's completely um, implanted. Uh, and it's there's a wire that stimulates the vagus nerve along the neck. And you can turn it on and off while you are um, doing rehab exercises with the arm. And these were two newly FDA approved devices. We're going to move on to more research um, types of interventions now. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. So we talked about stem cell therapy here. Um, I'm sorry, here. <laughs> and this is where the surgeon injects stem cells directly into the stroke um, lesion site. And uh, there is a phase two trial that is currently completed, but the results are not yet available. Here we have C7 uh, nerve transfer surgery, which involves cutting the peripheral um, C7 nerves on both sides and then connecting the unaffected side with uh, and then grafting it to the nerve on the affected side. And uh, this was paired with you know, rehab uh, therapy for uh, one year, four days a week. Um, there are, there's another type of treatment that facilitates neuroplasticity. Uh, and this here is called TMS, transcranial magnetic um, stimulation. And what it does is it sends a magnetic pulse, electrical pulse, and it can um, and it can either facilitate or inhibit certain areas of the brain, you know, affecting uh, the neuroplast neuroplastic uh, process. So similarly, we have this um, transcutane, I'm sorry, transcranial direct current stimulation, which are these electrodes that are placed on specific areas over the scalp. And it kind of provides direct current stimulation. 
And these two modalities can be paired with high-intensity rehab as a way to prime the brain to make it more plastic and receptive to learning. And this next modality is um, BCI or Brain Computer Interface. It is an, another area of research reserved for the most severely affected. It aims to retrain the brain to be able to interact and control one's environment, including assistive ro robotic arms, um, computer interfaces, and other systems. And they're doing this by using their thoughts. So I have a um, participant who, who jokingly says it's like training to be a Jedi. So this participant um, is you know, being trained uh, in, a, in a certain way to use her thoughts to control first a computer system and um, the brain signals are being recorded through this pedestal and connector and it's being routed, decoded by a computer. Then it's used to control this simulated arm on a computer. And then you can progress to controlling an actual um, assistive robotic arm. That's, this is actually commercially available. And let's let show you that. So he is using his thoughts to move the robot in 3D space. And he's able to grasp objects. So this is very early type of, um, type of study. And the, my final um, clinical trial here that I want to want to um, demonstrate is uh, this is a type of pattern stimulation of the spinal cord that's able to help this man complete bilateral leg paralysis be able to walk in, uh, on his own. Well, with the sister of uh, a walker. Um, so here's a video of placement of, so this is the penalty that's being placed onto the surface of the spinal cord. And then it creates pulses in very specific ways and it's individualized. So that it can produce um, synchronized movements of the muscles. And this is what we see. Patients use activity-specific stimulation programs outdoors to walk. So this was, um, so in this study, participants were able to perform standing, walking, swimming and cycling activities and uh, while they were participating in a rehab program four to five times a week for five months. Okay, so, um, so I hope that, uh, that you leave today with, with knowing that there are standard and non-standard treatment options available and exciting technological advances on the horizon um, that can make a difference in the lives of those who have long-standing motor impairments. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I know it's hard, it's hard to know where to start sometimes. And uh, 
I would suggest starting with individual impairments, goals, and preferences. And it's okay to keep trying different treatments and approaches based on what's available, what um, individually makes sense to the patient, care providers. So um, I, I, I think the, I don't think I'll go into these, I don't have time, <laughs> but I do want to, because health equity is the theme, I, I would like to emphasize that it's important to try to educate individuals as much as possible regarding what the highest quality of care might look like for them. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, participating in research is another great way to access the latest technologies for all. Okay. Um, so um, any, so thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.